1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, it turns out I have been making a mistake for the last six days, and my producer, Gru, has been allowing me to do it. So, so what, what, what do we do here? Do, do, I, do I own up and take responsibility for this, or do I kind of pull Alina Taylor and try to shift responsibility to, to somewhere else? No, no, no. Oh, what, wow. what, what are we going to No, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to pull Alina Taylor. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I'm going to own this. I'm going to own my mistake. We, uh, this is our, our second week of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion, um, where I, we, we send you, I've got a four-pack of tickets to give to a game as well as a $50 gift cert- gift card um, from our friends at, at melvinmulch.com. All right, well, the, the first game that we've been giving tickets away to is on Saturday night, April 21st. It's the Brewers, and I have been saying for the last, I'm going to own this. This is my mistake. See, because the, the stuff that I get, they didn't even name the team, but I, I ask, who, who's the, because people are going to want to know who are they playing. So I I have been saying, that the Brewers play the Florida Marlins on April 21st. I think I've been doing it. Bruce says I did it yesterday and Friday. No, I think I was doing it all. I, I, I think this has been a consistent mistake. I'm willing to own this. And so Bruce says to me today, he says, you know, you, you know, you've been getting that wrong. It's not the Florida Marlins. It's the Miami Marlins. I said, oh, oh, really? And yes, that, that's, that is correct. They were the Florida Marlins and then. Well, back in 2012, they switched over to the Miami Marlins. So, okay, I you, you still get the tickets. The game is still good, but I, I want to own this. It is uh, this no Lena Taylor stuff here. I have been making that error. I apologize. The tickets are all still good. And by the way, we have an early baseball game tomorrow. Um, the Brewers and Cardinals in the, the third game of their series. What a great game last night. So today, during the 2 o'clock hour of the program, I'm going to have not one giveaway, but two. So we're going to do two separate giveaways during the 2 o'clock hour of the program where you're going to have twice an opportunity to win a four-pack of tickets to go to the game at Miller Park on April 21st to see the Brewers play the Miami Marlins and a $50 gift card from uh, MelvinMulch.com. So stay tuned for that. All right, um, Mark Zuckerberg is scheduled to give testimony in front of a Senate committee this afternoon. It's supposed to start one fifteen ish our time. We'll, we're going to dip into that. I'm, I just, if he gives an opening statement, we will carry that. Um, candidly, we're not going to carry the entire hearing um, because what you're, in my opinion, what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of politicians who are going to be um, pontificating in an effort to try to get their faces on TV and all and, and, and maybe something interesting could come out of that or, or maybe not. So that's probably best to let people kind of look through and separate the wheat from the chaff. But if if there is an opening statement by Zuckerberg, we will carry that in part because I think a lot of us um, who use Facebook are, in fact, concerned about, you know, what happens to the information we post on Facebook? How private is it? Was this a mistake that Facebook made or was this just something that they did um, in a calculated effort to make more dough. I, it, we'll, we'll see what he has to say, but we will carry his opening statement um, when he gives it, or at least a portion of the opening statement. Okay, let's get started. Um, interesting three big things today. First of all, I said at the, on the program yesterday that State Senator Lena, don't you know who I am, Taylor, had an opportunity to do the right thing. Um, the story's now been widely reported. 
Friday afternoon, she's at a at the Wells Fargo Bank on Wisconsin Avenue. She is apparently trying to cash, the way it, it now turns out, she's trying to cash a check given to her by a tenant of hers. So she's there at the bank. The check is not good. There's not enough money in the account to cash the check. And she becomes, the story is, enraged. There are police officers who happen to be in the bank for some other reason. They hear the dispute. Everybody knows the allegations are that Lena Taylor gets loud, starts yelling. Um, she is accused of using the N-word. Now, she's African-American. Uh, there's apparently a teller who is African-American. Lena Taylor flies allegedly flies into this rage, um, uses that word in direction at the teller. The cops come up. Um, what happens is she ends up getting cited for disorderly conduct, not a criminal citation, but a civil citation, sort of a disorderly conduct citation. Maximum fine, I think, is 500 bucks. There is, I am told, a bank surveillance film of this. There's also a body camera of this. So it's at some point in time, it's going to come out what happened. And this, of course, is not Lena Taylor's first time at the rodeo when it comes to outrageous public contact. I have said before that I think the real Lena Taylor, at least the person I've talked to off the air and in private, is, is much, much smarter than the character she plays in public. But nevertheless, um, you, you have another one of these examples of, you know, sort of outrageous behavior. And the truth of the matter is, if you or me or anyone we know had thrown, I don't know, a hissy fit or caused the scene and a commotion and screamed things like this in a bank, chances are we would have probably been hauled off in handcuffs instead of given a citation. But anyhow, I said at the end of the day yesterday, Lena Taylor had a rare opportunity to do the right thing. And the right thing would simply have been to say, I apologize. I'm sorry, period. I apologize, period. I am sending a check for whatever it is, $500 in to pay the citation. I intend to move on. And, and that, I, I think, would have been the responsible, adult, grown-up way to do handle this. Um, and then you, you kind of move on. That's not what she has chosen to do. She has hired Vince Bobbitt. I, I like Vince Bobbitt, by the way. Vince Bobbitt, um, formerly in the city attorney's office. He's run for office a couple times. Um, very good lawyer when it comes to handling municipal law, does criminal work and does civil work as well. She has hired Vince Bobbitt. All right, now here's where it really gets interesting. Bobbitt gives an interview with CBS 58. This is what he says. He says um, she had brought a check, she being Lena Taylor, had brought a check there that was given to her by a tenant, and it was for a lot of delinquent rent. And Lena had gone there just to see if the check was good. The altercation, um, this is again by Vince Bobbitt, started with a disagreement about if she had to sign the check, even though she just wanted to see if there was enough money in the account. And then, this is the attorney on TV, I said, well, Lena, before you go into it any further, because they're making an accusation of a racial slur and all this, I'd rather be in person with you. Let us look at the tape that was at the Wells Fargo Bank. Also, I understand the police had a body cam. Now, let me tell you what is going on here. Criminal defense attorneys, criminal defense attorneys, will frequently say to their clients, you are accused of peeing on the sidewalk. 
you're accused of this. Don't tell me what you did. Because when you think that would be the normal reaction, the normal reaction would be, okay, th- this is this is what they say, you're charged with drunk driving, what did you do? Now, typically, criminal defense attorneys will say, don't tell me what you did. Because if you tell me what you did, well, then I can't, I can't, for example, if this matter goes to trial, I can't ethically let you get on the witness stand and testify to something different. So don't tell me what you did. Tell you what, let me go review the evidence. Let me see what the state's case is or the city's case is or the government's case is. Let's review that together. And then, wink, wink, nod, nod, then I'll ask you, you know, what, what you did. Don't tell me what you – and this is a common tactic that defense attorneys use because if somebody says, well, yeah, yeah, I killed my wife, okay, well, you're not going to be able to put them on the witness stand and have them deny that. So this is kind of a common tactic that you would use if you were representing somebody accused of a crime or if you're accused of, uh, again, you know, in this case, it is a civil sort of violation. I understand that tactic. tactic I understand that technique. But when you have a public official – who is accused of not a crime, but misbehavior in public. All right. Lena Taylor knows what she said. Lena Taylor was there. Lena Taylor knows what it is that happens. Lena Taylor knows if she shouted and used this type of language at, at the clerk. All right. She was there. You shouldn't have to look at a tape or watch a police body camera to know that. The reason you do that is you want to say, well, okay, we're going to wait to craft our response to see what it is that the government, state, city, whatever, what what the evidence is. But in a case like this, while I understand that is a tactic that criminal defense attorneys use, and it's a perfectly legitimate tactic, if you are a public official and you are involved in something like this and you were there, you shouldn't have to wait to find out, gee, what is it that the state can prove you did? And if you really did this type of stuff, if this now if this really happened and you used this kind of language and you shouted at the police and you got loud, the only thing I think a responsible public official does is come out, like I said yesterday, and say, I'm sorry, I apologize, my behavior was unacceptable, and here I'm paying a ticket. You don't, you have every right to do this. Nobody's denying you have a right to do it, but just as I often say, because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it is the right thing to do. A responsible public official who's behaved this way in public and is not looking at a criminal charge, what they do is they apologize and they pay the ticket. Unless they seriously say, I did not do this, this is all contrived, in which case then you come out and you make a public statement saying everybody else is making this up. But by simply deciding, well, we're going to wait to see what it says on the tape. We're going to review the evidence. We're going to try to see if we can go through the ladder at the city attorney's office and convince them to give us different type of treatment. That, I think, is nothing short of appalling. Do you have a right to do it? Yes. If you are a public official, though, involved in this, I think the time to deal with this would have been yesterday. Because, like I say, you shouldn't have to wait to look at the tape. You shouldn't have to wait to see what a body camera says. You shouldn't have to read the police reports. You know what you did. And if, in fact, you did this, then you should fess up to it, and you should have fessed up to it yesterday. 
right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, what are the consequences for this? Well, all right, the reality is she's not up for re-election this time around. She's up for re-election two years ago, two years from now. And if it does turn out that she behaved in this way, I think this is probably something that costs her her political career once and for all. But she had a chance to do the right thing, and and she blew it. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Don't you expect more, perhaps from a public official? And if she didn't do it, if this is all made up, then she should have had a press conference yesterday and said, this is all made up. This is all a bunch of bull. None of this happened. All these people are making it up. These stories are are wrong. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1221. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Mabel in Kenosha. Hi, Mabel. Hi, how are you, Jeff? Good. What do you think? I think I am on the fence because, number one, Jeff, you you were not there. I was not there. The body cams would paint one picture. The people that were physically there may have different opinions. And I am not a constituent in her area. I have the utmost respect for people who are civil servants, and that's what I consider her to be is that she looks out for the people. She is always poised from everything I've seen. And things may have happened where she's had issues with this proper tenant before, whether it be the rent issue but, but, or But, Mabel, see, that's things. not the but, point. The question is, did she use this type of abusive language and create a, a disruption at the bank? And she knows if she said that or not. I mean, she. We, we don't need to see a body camera. We don't need to... You know, we don't need to review a surveillance video. I mean, doesn't she know whether she said that or not? I wasn't here. But but she knows, doesn't she? But yeah, I wasn't there. You weren't there. But okay. doesn't she know? She's aware of her actions, just like right. you're aware of your actions, right. and I'm aware of my actions. However, let me finish my sentence, Jeff, please. People should own up, whether it means hiring a lawyer or protecting her rights or saying, look, there's extenuating circumstances here, and people saw this, and she is in the public eye. So if she has to live with the outcome of what has happened. And if it's for her to step up forward and say, I'm doing a public address on this, I'm hiring an attorney, I think she is a formidable lady. Well, and- <laughs> thanks. I mean, it has nothing to do with being a formidable lady or, or not. It, I my, my point is, does she have a right to hire a, does she have a right to lawyer up and try to fight this? Absolutely. No, no question about it. But don't you, ex- shouldn't we expect more? I mean, cause the truth is, I mean, she was there. She knows if she said that or not. And I mean, I fully, I tell you the honest and goodness truth, Mabel, is I fully expected, I mean, her people kept saying that there were gonna, there was going to be a press conference and a statement yes, or statement yesterday. I fully expect her to come out and say, look, I, I was having a bad day or whatever. I, I did this. I apologize for it. Boom, you pay the ticket, you move on. Okay, I, I figured that that was going to be the case. Instead, well, I've hired my lawyer. You know, the lawyer then goes on TV and says, well, you know, I was going to ask her about this, but I, I told her, hold off. Let's let's see what the body camera says. Let's see what the videotape shows. What a bunch of BS. I mean, you if you're a public official, you know what you did. I, okay, I, I was out to dinner last night with, with some friends. All right, if somebody says, gee, Jeff... You know, you're accused of standing up in the, we, we ate in the, the bar. You know, you're, you're accused of standing up and screaming these different things at the bartender. All right. I know if I did that or not. All right. I, I know if I did it. 
And I, I could say, well, um, I'm not going to have any comment. I'm going to like wait till we see what they could prove. Or I could say, yeah, you know, I was just having a bad day and, and I did this and I'm sorry. That is my only point that, yes, does she have a right to fight the ticket? Of course she has a right to fight a ticket. But when you are a public official, shouldn't we expect more? And I understand I'm getting emails, well, why don't you apply a standard to Donald Trump, to which my response is, what show do you listen to? I mean, I mean, really, you know, listen closer when you hear me talk about some of the things that the president does. But if you're out of control, and the truth of the matter is, if she said some of these things, if it turns out she said this in the body camera, or it turns out that, um, you know, you have witnesses that say that she used some of this terminology, I think it is probably career-ending um, especially since at least there's not a willingness to own up to it up front. And I will go one step further. Like I say, if she's being falsely accused, then I would be having a press con. I would have had a press con availability yesterday saying this is all untrue. I never said this term. I never said that term. I didn't create a disturbance. This is all a contrivance and the cops are wrong. I, I would have said that as well instead of, gee, let me lawyer up and, and let's wait to see what they think they can prove. 228, 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back, and I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today during the 2 o'clock hour of the program, and you're going to have a chance, two people, we're going to do this twice during the 2 o'clock hour of the program because my show is preempted tomorrow because of an early baseball game. You will have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Miami Marlins on April 21st, that's Saturday night, and you win a $50 gift card courtesy of our tremendous sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. Two chances to win during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program. Also, um, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the founder of Facebook, he is scheduled to give testimony that, interestingly enough, is going to be unsworn. Is it even testimony if you're unsworn? But he's going to appear before a Senate committee. That's going to be sometime the next hour. His opening statement is supposed to be five minutes. Um, we're going to try to dip in and cover the opening statement. My understanding is before that, you're going to have a number of politicians who are going to give their own opening statements. We're not going to carry that. But the, the Zuckerberg thing, we'll, we'll try to catch, and assuming it, it comes up at an appropriate time, we'll present that simply because I know so many people have concerns about privacy and so many people are, are interested in Facebook. All right, here's our big story number two. And, and it's I am fascinated by this story because it shows how social media can just take off and how stuff can go viral. I hate that phrase because it's such a cliche, but it, it's what happens. All right, there is there's a bar in Madison called Gibbs, G-I-B apostrophe S. Um, the, the guy that owns Gibbs also owns this place called Grandpa's Pizzeria, which is right next to Gibbs, and he owns a third place as well. Okay, so it runs a series of restaurants. All right, what happens is there's this woman. Her name is Hannah Egger, and she worked at Gibbs as a waitress last year. So um, what happens is she ends up quitting. All right, she, she leaves the job. Apparently, according to the stories, the owner of Gibbs was frustrated that she hadn't cleaned up after her last shift. She says the manager told her that was okay. This is your last shift. Go. So, okay, she that, that so that's the background. She leaves. 
Owner's a little bit peeved because he says she didn't clean up after her last shift. She says the manager told me to go. All right, so fine. She she leaves. Um, after she leaves, the owner sends her a text about this, and she says, I, I wasn't going to get into this with him. I didn't respond to it. So they did not communicate again. So she quits sometime in 2017. All right. The manager of this bar says, okay, she worked in 2017, January of this year. You know, your employers get all your W-2 forms, and they send out the W-2s, so you need that information so you can, you know, get your, you can file your taxes. So what happens is the manager it gives sends the woman's W-2 tax return form out, but she sends it to the wrong address because apparently she'd moved. So they send it to the last known address. It bounces back. Okay, the post office returns it as undeliverable. Um, what happens is this former waitress requests the form again, says, I haven't gotten the form. You know, can you send it out again? She does that in late March. And the manager then, okay, the next day mails it on on Saturday. Okay, she mails it. The lady's trying to fill out her taxes. She says, I still haven't gotten this. Uh, can you just can you scan it for me? At which point in time, the manager sends a scanned version of the document by email. Okay, so you got the whole story now. Woman leaves, not necessarily on the best of terms. Her W two is sent to her old address. She calls up, she asks for it, and then finally says, "Can you just send me a scanned document?" All right. Now you might say to me, "Okay, Jeff, why is this this cause celeb? What what has happened here?" Well, here's where it gets interesting. So the manager at Gibbs sends her the form. She scans it and sends it off. The file, okay, so it's sent off as an attachment, like a PDF file. The attachment that has the W-2 form on it is labeled dumb witch, except it doesn't say which. It's the B word. Dumb witch, except it doesn't say which, PDF. That's the title on this that they have sent to this woman. You know, dumb witch, except it's not a W, a PDF. All right, the, the waitress, the, the former waitress gets this, and she's, she's mad. So she sends a message to the owner of Gibbs. She, and, and essentially the message is, you know, look what you guys just sent me. You know, I hear you, you send me this file calling me a dumb witch, except it's not the W word. At which point in time, the owner responds by saying, you left on crummy terms, although he doesn't use the word crummy. He uses a word that I cannot say on the radio. You left on crummy terms. Maybe next time, don't burn bridges and finish your job like a professional. Okay? So now, all right, so now you have this woman. um, She's now got her W-2, but it's labeled in this file where the manager at this place is calling her a dumb witch, except not the W, and um, she complains to the owner, and the owner says, well, you know, I don't care. You know, you left on crummy terms. This is all your fault. Don't burn bridges. So what the ex-waitress does is she takes a screenshot of all this, and she posts it up on her Facebook page. This is how I was treated by by Gibbs, and um, it goes viral. Let me see. I've got the numbers here. A day after it went up, Her original Facebook post had some 1,500 Facebook shares. There is a blog called Witchy Waiter, except it's not a W, (laughs) um, that that has apparently attracts like the hospitality industry. 
Um, that has nearly 700,000 Facebook poly, uh, followers. That then picks up the story. So this does, you know, within a day, this whole thing is out there, and there's probably like a million different people looking at it. All of a sudden, um, Gibbs, the, the bar, ends up getting Facebook reviews, um, hundreds of one-star Facebook reviews. Um, people then go to the owner's personal Facebook page with writing things like, you just ruined your entire career in one email. Oh, well, sucks to be you. They then go to the manager's Instagram account saying, I hope you get fired. They have zero uh, professionalism. Some posters were local, some were out of state, others were trolls. But all of a sudden, because of all this, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of comments, hostile stuff being directed at the business, all because of this posting and this exchange. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here is my question. Obviously, I mean, I would think, I think it's pretty clear that both the manager and the owner of Gibbs handled this situation in a completely and totally unprofessional manner. I, I think you know, we can argue about it, but I, I think that's that's pretty clear. I don't think this is the way you know you, you treat an employee. Just get her her darn W-2 and, and, and move on. All right, here is my question, though. Was the employee out of line in going public with this exchange and has the result of this been completely out of proportion? Because now, I mean, now there, there's questions about whether this business survives this exchange. All right, what is the lesson that comes from this? And let's start with the question of, was the employee within her rights? Did she do the right thing by doing this? And how have people reacted? Over the top or not? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think for lots of people out there, this story has several cautionary tales we'll discuss next. But what's your reaction to the story? 414-799-1620. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers continue their road trip from the gateway to the west. The Brewers and the Cardinals play game two of their series from St. Louis. And our Brewers coverage with Jeff and Lane starts 640 this evening. Let's talk to Sue and Franklin. Hi, Sue. Hi, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think of all this? <laughs> I think it got way blown out of proportion. I mean, seriously. For one thing, the owner and the manager should never have done what they did. That's ridiculous. They just give her a W-2 form, like you said. Why <laughs> Why add on that little comment on the top and, and all that? But what she did, um, putting it on her page, and I have a page, and I get comments like, you know, why did you put It's my page. It's, it's my private page. And I have it with my friends. If they don't like what they see, move on. But the thing is, it's not her fault that she posted on her page. She was mad. She wants her friends to see it. And when other people copied it and passed it on, that is not her fault. That mm-hmm. really, seriously, shouldn't have any concern for her. What about all the uh, the reaction of the the oh. social media world? That all all of a sudden, this restaurant they're getting. Hundreds and hundreds of like one star reviews by oh people who've gosh. never been there before, you know, and all that. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, so you're so you're you're going to bash a restaurant because of one stupid little thing. It's kind of like going to a restaurant and having one bad experience. You give it another try. You don't. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't understand that at all. People are there's just too many people that are quick to comment and quick to 
just judged, and it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So that that's thanks for call. That that is see that in a nutshell is my take on on this story. It it, it shows how people and, and and businesses in particular need to realize that there is this new climate that's out there. It used to be that it was it was radio stations and newspapers and TV stations that decided what was newsworthy and what wasn't. I mean that that was that was the decision. Something could happen and unless somebody some unless you could call up a reporter and say, "Boy, you can't believe this, but unless they or their editors thought it was newsworthy, or the news director at a radio station, or the news director at a TV station, nobody knows about it, right? That's the difference in this world nowadays, because everybody gets to pass on everything that they have that happens to them. And I don't fault this waitress either for, you know, this is, nobody's saying that she made this stuff up. This is the legitimate interaction that she had with the manager and the owner of, of this place. So, I mean, first of all, I think that's where one of these things that's the cautionary tale. Nowadays in the social media world, everything you do, you know, potentially can get blown up. And of course, all right, so that's story number one. You know, the, the, the bar manager and the owner, I mean, really, how stupid could you be? Okay, maybe you don't like the gal. Maybe you think she left on crummy. That's not the word the owner used terms, but, but she's gone. You're running your business. Why is it that you feel necessary necessary to demean her or to do this? If give her the damn W two and just get her out of your life. Oh, okay, that that's fine. Um, I mean, childish, petulant, and just really, really stupid to do it. But also potentially, you know, potentially career killing because you send this out. She posts this, and now again it goes viral. You've got hundreds of thousands of people looking at it. Now, this is, of course, the, the flip side, and it's one of the things that bothers me about the internet because the question becomes: Does the punishment fit the, the crime? Um, here you have, I, I think, both the owner and the bar manager were not good. Um, it was not a good decision by either one of them. It was rude. It was demeaning. Nothing to be proud of a, at all. At the same time, though, uh, you know, does it does it bear, you know, all these different does it bear thousands and thousands of people now deciding that, you know, we're going to send you nasty emails or we're going to flock to the Facebook page and try to ruin your business, which, by the way, is one of the things that's always bothered me about some of these reviews, whether it's Yelp or otherwise, that, you know, you, you have these one star reviews by people who've never been in the place, but are just simply you know, lashing out because, again, they're reacting to what it was that the owner or the manager did. But, but you know, this is, this is the lesson, and it's the new world that everybody lives in, business owners and people. There is nothing that's private anymore, and anything and everything can, in fact, be news. So I, I've, I've told this story before. Back when I was in law school, back in the day, I had a, a professor passed away a couple of years ago, Jim Giardi, and one of the best pieces of advice that he gave me, and this was back before Al Gore invented the Internet, was, Jeff, when you're practicing law, there's going to be things that just make you mad. That wasn't his phrase. My advice is sit down, and you got some other lawyer that's made you mad, write the letter, you know, and just vent. Do whatever you want in the letter, just vent, but then... 
then take that letter and put it in your desk drawer and let it sit till the next day. And then read it again, because my guess is 95% of the time, by the time you've calmed down a little bit and you go back and you look at it, it, it you're going to say, okay, I, I really, I don't want to say these things. I don't want to send this letter. And you know, and that, I think that was really good advice. Now, in today's day and age, you know, that's not what happens. People don't have that impulse control. You know, people react right away. They hit send, and then people then react. So this whole story, and I, I tell you, I mean, there. There is an ongoing debate out in Madison now about, you know, whether or not, you know, this might in fact kill, you know, this business. You know, they they don't know, you know, what the ultimate repercussion is going to be. Are people going to decide that they're not going to go back to the place? I've never been to the bar. I've never been to the neighboring restaurant. I have no position on that one way or the other. But, I mean, uh, some of these people are now legitimately worried that this ongoing business might be killed by this one example of i think what was clearly inappropriate behavior so you got to pay attention to this it is a cautionary tale and we're talking about this in relation to a business but um you know it happens with individuals too i mean you you know you say that wrong thing in your facebook post or on social media or whatever and next thing you know boom you're the target of all this type of stuff bottom line is be warned 1255 jeff wagner wtmj Speaking of controversies, the Simpsons, Apu, and the Indian community. Stick around. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Milwaukee crime spreading to the suburbs. Uh, people beware. This is this just happened in Mequon the other day. This happened just a little bit west of Port Washington Road on Mequon Road. Here's the story. Um, guy driving his 2011 Hyundai near Mequon and Port Washington Roads about 2.35 p.m. April 4th when he noticed he was being followed by an older gray car. The car continued to follow him as he drove into his subdivision. As he slowed in the subdivision, the other car rear-ended him. According to the police report, he then pulls over. The other car pulls over. As the guy gets out of his car, um, the other driver and a passenger, both females, get out of their car. As the guy approached the women, hey, you just hit me. One ran to his car, the other back to her car. Then both cars sped away. The females were in their late teens or early 20s. My guess is they were not Mequon residents. Car was recovered the evening of April 8th, North 44th Street and Villard Avenue. No further damage to the car. Officials say car thefts like this occur in Milwaukee County all the time. Don't happen in Ozaki County very much. Bottom line is Milwaukee crime spreading to these suburbs. This is one of the common tactics. And no, given given the cesspool of crime that Milwaukee is, the reality is you're not safe anywhere. It's 1259. One oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Gru, who's producing the show today. You're a fan of The Simpsons? Yeah, so so. I um I mean the Simpsons go back to what, nineteen eighty seven and incredibly long running television show, um, and it, it still remains viable. I my brother is really into the Simpsons. I'm not as much, but I I, I, I kind of lost interest over the years, but but it's still it's an incredibly funny show and it gets good ratings. And the characters have become, you know, part of, of Americana. 
Um, the Simpsons is, of course, a, a cartoon set in the fictional town of Springfield. And the characters are, in one shape or another, they're, they're almost all caricatures, they're stereotypes, they're, they're parodies. I mean, Homer Simpson is the, the typical sort of dumb, lazy dad. Um, the grandpa, Abraham Simpson, is sort of the stereotypical old person. Not true. I mean, you know, all these different characteristics that people would like to attach to the elderly. Okay, you know, they they have it and they mock him. Um, Ned Flanders, the next door neighbor, he's sort of the the religious nerd. You know, that that's the Ned Flanders character. Um, and, and it goes on and on and on. They're they're all different stereotypes. Uh, chief Wiggum, the police chief, he's the the sort of standard stereotypical. Big, lazy, donut-eating police officer. You know, they're all stereotypes in one shape or form or another. One of the characters is, of course, the character of Apu. Um, Apu runs the Quickie Mart. And Apu is the the stereotype. It, it, there's no question about it. It is the stereotype of somebody coming to this country from India and running, you know, the quickie mart where they sell the slushies and the gas and the things like that. That That is the stereotype that is out there. Well, everybody got a good laugh out of that, just like they get a laugh out of Chief Wiggum and the Donuts, and they get a laugh out of, you know, Grandpa and all the comic book guy. I mean, another sort of stereotype of, you know, adults that um, still like comic books and, and things like that. Well, this became controversial a few months ago. When you had this this comedian who ended up writing a piece called The Problem with Apu, and then that turned into this documentary where the, this comedian, who is Indian by descent, um, he, he said the character focused on hurtful stereotypes towards the South Asian community. Everything with Apu is like this running joke, um, and the running joke is that he's he's Indian. All right, so this documentary came out. Of course, the the, the truth of the matter is that they're all, or at least a good number of the characters, you know, the, the joke is a running joke. Grandpa is old and senile. That's the running joke. Ned Flanders is sort of the overly religious nerdy guy. That's the running joke. Chief Wiggum, he's the donut, the, the sort of lazy donut-eating cop. That's the running joke that the Simpsons have. But the guy says, okay, this, this is Apu, and I'm offended by it and bothered by it. It's not funny. All right, so the Simpsons addressed this issue on on Sunday, briefly during the show. Um, it's only 16 seconds. The clip, and I will explain in just a minute. We're going to play the clip, and I'll explain exactly what the vi- visual that goes with it is. But the clip has Marge, the mom, um reading a, a an updated version of the old children's story, The Princess in the Garden, that was edited to make it acceptable for 2018. The, the title of the episode is No Good Read Goes Unpunished. And in this 16-second clip, the Simpsons producers decided to respond to the Is Apu Racist controversy. All right, here, here's the clip. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? 
Some things will be dealt with at a later date, if at all. Now, what happens in the show, in addition to this, so um, so Lisa, you hear her, the character say, some, something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And she's saying that the character, the cartoon character, is looking at the camera. Then she looks at a picture of Apu with the catchphrase, don't have a cow. So, you know, clearly this is the way they are responding to this. Um, got the picture of Apu and the character of Lisa saying something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And then they show the picture of Apu and he's got the thing, don't have a cow, which is the Bart Simpson signature thing. Well, all right. After the Simpsons do this, this is like instead of instead of calming troubled waters, this just sets off another firestorm. Oh, this is terrible. This shows how insensitive the producers are. This is terrible that they would just essentially blow this off. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the Simpsons producers mishandle this? Should they have fallen on their swords and apologized for creating this character for their racial insensitivity? Um, or did they handle this right? Are the people who are outraged, are they the ones who need to kind of get over it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The controversy has not gone away. It has been ignited further. Did the Simpsons producers mishandle this? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to talk about it in just a moment. It's 115. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Some things will be dealt with at a later date. If at all. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That's the Simpsons' response to complaints that one of the characters, Apu, the guy that runs the Quickie Mart, well, he's a stereotype, as I was just talking about. Almost every character on The Simpsons is in one shape or fashion a stereotype. Should we be apologizing? Is it time for Apu to go? Joe in Oshkosh. Joe, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What do you think? This stuff gets under my skin. If it offends you, first of all, the show's been on for over 20 years. Right. So obviously it's doing something right and it's pretty successful. If it offends you, it's real simple. It's real easy. Turn the darn TV off. <laughs> you're not given. You're not granted the right to be not offended. If you don't like it, affect them by their ratings. Turn the show off. Right, and I guess I guess, and my question becomes: Where do you draw the line? Because I, I mean, look, look at all the other stereotypes that are there. Okay, it, it's okay to have the stereotype of Ned Flanders, the Christian. It's okay to have the stereotype of Chief Wiggum, the cop. Homer Simpson is like a whole bunch of stereotypes rolled into each other. It's okay. Those stereotypes are all right. But the Apu character, no, we got to do away with him. we got to get rid of that. I mean, at, at some point in time, again, this political correctness, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon, Joe. Well, and can we do it with darn near any show? You look at Rosanna just came back and the stereotypes that they're playing. You can play this card with any show out there. 
Watch it if you like it. Don't watch it if you don't. But shut the hell up already. <laughs> Thanks Stop for the call. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Oh, and this is this outrage. I mean, there there is, I will tell you, there is a firestorm out there, one story after another, um, over the course of the last two or three days since the show aired on Sunday. Oh, people are just all offended. How insensitive of the Simpsons that they choose to mock the controversy over this character. Well, all right, what what did you think they were going to do? Oh, we're just sorry, we apologize. And again, where what what about groundskeeper Willie? You know, I mean, where do you draw the line? It's a comedy, it's a parody. Yes, they make fun of stereotypes, and yes, one is of the Indian convenience store owner, but is that any more offensive than I don't know, um the Ned Flanders character? Let's talk to Mark in Fort Atkinson. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Mark. Hey, thank you for taking my sure. call. Um, my, my take is that if you let every person whine and cry and uh, say they're offended, you're only going to add fuel to their fire, and they'll continue to do that. I, you almost think you have to ignore them. And, you know, we can go, it's a cartoon, it's a parody on a lot of stereotypes, and it's just making fun of a lot of different things, but not in a mean-spirited way. Right. Like I said, years ago, it was... It was not offensive, but now all of a sudden everything is offending somebody. And the more you give them error about it, it only fuels their fight that much more. Right, but I guess the question is, I mean, and I think what I like is the Simpsons have kind of said, look, we're not going to back down on this. We've been doing this for 20-some years. These are these beloved characters. You know, we do it with a a sense of humor. It's not a mean-spirited type of situation. You know, we do it with a sense of humor, and... No, we're not going to change our ways, and I give them credit for that. I mean, Absolutely. I, I mean, they have creative license to do do what they've been doing, and they've been successful for such a long time. Why start now? It just seems like our, uh, people are getting way too sensitive. But like I said, the more you give them, you know, time to air it out, the more they're going to keep crying and, um, you know, crying foul. Right, right. Thanks for calling. So, I mean, I, I think this was the response they had. Let's see. Um, got some more text here. I agree with the Simpsons producers. This offended guy is owed nothing over this except a kindly suggestion to suck it up. What's next? The Scottish are going to rally over the school groundskeeper? Yeah, that was a groundskeeper Willie. Um, let's see. Then, okay, if you didn't have an, an Indian store owner, you could say it's racist for not including everybody that's there. Um, another text. Apu is also the smartest person on the show besides Dr. Frank. He is also the volunteer fire chief. Yeah, it, but it, it's not... Again, it's not a mean-spirited sort of thing. Um, it's, I think, you know, and again, I think there is this kind of double standard that's out there. Nobody is offended about, okay, the stereotype that is Ned Flanders, because it's okay. It's okay to pick on, you know, um, you know, the, the Christians. Nobody is offended about Chief Wiggum. Ha, 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 that's the funny stereotype of the donuts-eating cop. Okay, we're going to laugh at all that type of stuff, but this particular one, yes, it is a stereotype, but at the same time, it, it ends up being a parody. And I guess I lumped this into the category of, again, you know, why do we cater to the politically correct and the perpetually offended? And, and yeah, I understand that, that times, I understand that times have changed. You know, the old Warner Brothers cartoons, matter of fact, we were talking about this today, um, you know, Gru found it for me. The old Warner Brothers cartoons, that were, for example, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoons that were made during, say, World War II, for example. Um, yeah, they, they had they had stereotypes as well of of Japanese. They had stereotypes of 
you know, uh, Germans, all sorts of stereotypes, no question about it. Um, and so the question becomes, do you sanitize those? Here's what Warner Brothers does. They, they've come up with this thing that they, they play before they play some of those cartoons. It says the cartoons you're about to see are a product of their time. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created because to do otherwise would be um, the same as assuming these prejudices never existed. So they've got the disclaimer. I don't think it's necessary to do stuff like that with, with Apu. The reason this stuff is funny is because, as again, their stereotypes do kind of touch a nerve, and I think most people recognize that is the stereotype that's out there, just like everybody that runs a comic book store isn't a comic book buy, and everybody who goes to church isn't Ned Flanders, for goodness sakes. Anyways, this is the Simpsons way of kind of saying, well, we appreciate the controversy, but nuts to you. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Bob in Appleton. Bob, good afternoon. Hi, how are you, sir? I'm well, thank you, sir. Good. I tell you, they should, instead of being upset, they should be happy because uh, they didn't do what they did to the Seinfeld character, Babu. They pulled his papers and sent him back to India. That, that's right. That, that, that was, I, I was trying to think that through. That was the character that, that owned, a, owned a restaurant, and Jerry talked him into turning it into like a Pakistani restaurant or something like that, and it didn't do well at all. That was that guy, right? Right, right. right. Yeah, and Pete, right. And ultimately, because, right, they had they had protests and stuff, that they ended up just having the guy deported to make him go away. They, I mean, look, it, it's a comedy. It's funny. It's caricatures. There's no question uh, about it. And I, I think part of the problem is the inability of people to separate, you know, real life from, you know, the, the caricatures you know, becomes more of a problem. Trust me, I have been doing this job for 20 years. Every depiction of somebody who hosts a conservative radio show, um, it, it is not a flattering sort of thing. If you look at the way the mainstream media portrays people who do my job, well, okay, all right, I, do you take it personally? No, you understand it is kind of this caricature. We're not all alike. You know, it's just you got to roll with the punches. Carl in Horicon. Carl, you're on WTMJ. Hi, yeah. Um, I was just recalling that somebody once said, life is tough, get a helmet. Yep. Okay. Wagner's rule of <laughs> life number uh, one, absolutely. There you go, you know. But on top of that, I mean, how many years ago did we have the great Archie Bunker? Yep. Okay, he was a live person. Okay, they had live skits. They had in front of people. They had to be, at that point in time, the most offensive. But, uh, you know, and nowadays, his, his chair that he sat in is enshrined in... Uh, What's that museum in Washington? The Smithsonian. There you go. Right. You know? So, you know, the, the thing is, I think that today people have become so oversensitized to what is out there, you know, that, you know, they find absolutely everything offensive. Well, at least some people absolutely. do. Yeah. I mean, it, it, thanks for coming. I mean, I, I, I appreciate I mean, you know, Carol O'Connor was just great as Archie Bunker, and that was actually Norman Lear who is about as far to the left as you can possibly get. I mean, he created All in the Family, and Archie Bunker was, I mean, it was the caricature of, of again, the the middle-class working, you know, bigot. Uh, and, and that was, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that, that show was about trying to, 
you know, mock Archie Bunker and things like that. And, and you know, did, did you have conservatives getting offended? No, you, you, you didn't. What's happened nowadays is I think to some extent we have lost our sense of humor completely to the point that everybody is going to be offended about everything. No question about it. Anyhow, the Simpsons have kind of taken the position saying, um, you know, sorry, uh, and, and they express it through the character of Lisa, who says, you know, gee, a few years ago, you know, th- this was funny and inoffensive. Now, you know, everybody's bothered by this. What can you do? When we come back, again, we're monitoring the hearings. When Brett, Brett, when Mark Zuckerberg uh, gives his opening statement, we're going to try to dip into that, depending on, on how the timing of that works. The state Supreme Court has come down with a very interesting ruling on gun rights. I want to share that with you, and we're going to discuss in just a minute. It's 134, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back, and I would love to send you to Miller Park. Be listening during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program, and get this. I have not one, but two four-packs of tickets to give away to the April 21st game between the Brewers and the Miami Marlins. We're going to have two winners, two giveaways, both during the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Each winner also gets a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. So check that all out. Again, the uh, the hearing involving Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and creator of Facebook, immortalized in the, the movie The Social Media, with The Social Network, which um, does not paint a very flattering portrait of him. And I actually think it's probably an accurate portrait of him a- as well. Um, he's getting ready to testify. I, my, my note said that he wasn't going to be sworn in, which is... Sort of weird. I, I thought if you're going to testify, you, you testify under oath. Um, he's going to be answering questions in a little bit and, and making a statement. But right now, you have members of the committee who are each making their <clears throat> opening statements. And um, we'll we'll wait till uh, Zuckerberg gives his opening statement before we dip in. My guess is you're going to have an, an apology from him. Um, I number of people are saying, are you going to comment on the raid of uh, Michael Cohen's office? Uh, and, and yes, I, I am, as a matter of fact. Um, it, the story yesterday was FBI agents raided the office uh, and the, the home of, of Michael Cohen, who was the attorney for, he was Trump's, President Trump's business attorney um, for, for years leading up to um, uh, President Trump's run for the presidency, wasn't involved in the campaign per se, and now has become Trump's personal attorney since he became president. Um, Michael Cohen is also the guy who's in, embroiled in the, the whole story of, of Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford, who is the porn star slash stripper, who says that she had a one-night stand with President Trump back in 2006, and of course, the, the story, her story is that um, she was paid $130,000 uh, not to tell her story. Now, she's telling her, she's, I saw it, she just signed a deal. She's posing for Penthouse. Um, so, if anybody wants to see what Stormy Daniels, if there's anybody out there who hasn't seen, you know, Stormy Daniels yet, you're going to have a chance if you pick up uh, Penthouse or whatever. So, she, she's kind of sold her, her story there. And she's again, telling her story to anybody who will listen. Well, anyhow, Cohen was the man who supposedly paid her the money to not tell her story. And by the way, there, there's nothing there's nothing illegal. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's a, a civil settlement. That, that happens all the time. You know, we're going to pay you this money, and you sign a non-disclosure agreement, and boom, you, you go away. That That is a common sort of thing. Now, 
again, we're talking about the President of the United States, and you're talking about, all right, settling the, this case and being paid money not to tell your story about a tryst you supposedly had. So I, I understand that that's got sort of the titillation factor, but the idea that somebody takes money and they agree not to, you know, disclose the nature, there's a confidentiality agreement, that in and of itself is not unusual. What is unusual about this is where the money came from. And at least in his public statements, um, the attorney, Michael Cohen, has said that, you know, he's the one that provided the, the money. And I, I, I acknowledge when I first heard, I mean, all sorts of red flags go up because lawyers don't reach into their own pocket to settle cases on behalf of clients. Let, that's, lawyers don't do that. In addition, um, if you are an attorney representing a client, you, you can't settle ethically, you can't settle a case without the approval of, of your client. You know, and President Trump has said that he doesn't know about the settlement or things like that. So it's, it, it's, it's really very big, big question marks. I mean, it, it does, the way this was handled raise all sorts of, of red flags uh, about this. Then there's the other question about, you know, where did the money come from? Um, did he take out a bank loan, a home equity loan to get the 130 grand? And what did he say on the, to the bank state, to the bank to get that loan? Is it possible there's bank fraud? And um, look, I, I understand there's all sorts of sort of red flags that are around the way this transaction was handled, which I, I don't understand, um, from the perspective of attorneys. It's just not handled the way you know, you, you typically would. Normally, if I was representing somebody, and I, I was in government practice for most of my career, private practice for a couple of years, but if I was reaching a settlement with somebody, whether there were, I don't know, whether it was business litigation or I didn't represent any porn stars or people that were being sued by porn stars or regardless, but I mean, the deal would be you, you call up your client, you say, this is the deal. Do you want to sign off on it? They do. And then the, the money, if you're paying out money, it doesn't come from the attorney. I mean, it comes from, again, the person who's paying the settlement. So there's all sorts of aspects of this I don't understand. What apparently happened was, in the course of their investigation, Robert Mueller obtained information. He kicked it over to the, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office out of New York. The Justice Department has very, very strict guidelines for when you can subpoena and when you can seize records from attorneys, because there is the whole issue of attorney-client privilege. And, for example, you know, who know? I don't know if this guy has other clients or whatever, and, and you, you have to keep this, you have to be really careful here, or otherwise you get a debacle like you had with the John Doe investigation where in Wisconsin, where you go in, you start taking people's records, and next thing you know, you, you've seized emails of, you know, personal emails of Leah Vukmir, you know, talking to her daughter about medical issues. And, and so the Department of Justice tries to behave, I said tries to behave, in a more ethical and restrained fashion. So there's all sorts of rules and, and showings that you have to make before you can go and start taking records from attorneys. And then there's a whole separate group of lawyers that are supposed to review what's been taken um, before they give documents to the people who are actually investigating a case, making sure that you know they, they haven't over been overly broad in, in what records they seize. I guess the bottom line of all this is I understand the president is outraged, and they say mad as he's ever been 
over you know what's going on here that his attorney's records were seized. Let me just say this. I, I think it's best for everybody to kind of, again, dial this back a, a notch. Is it unusual to do something like this with the Office of Attorney? Yes. Is it unprecedented? No. And I'm sure what they are looking for is information to try to determine was there a settlement? Where did the money come from? What did the president know? What did the attorney know? Um, and my guess is it's kind of a bank fraud investigation. Where did the money come from? Was it a loan he took out on his house? All those different things. Rather than being outraged, I think this is another one where you just kind of let it play out and see what is what. Um, the president being angry and threatening to perhaps fire people, I think that would be a huge, huge mistake. And uh, again, I don't think the Stormy Daniels thing is going to ultimately come to anything. But I think this is one of these things where people are doing their jobs. And I will tell you objectively from the outside, some of the statements that the attorney for President Trump has made with regard to how this money was paid to this woman, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it For whatever, it just doesn't make sense to me. That's not how I understand the practice of law to operate and settlements to operate. Now, I'm getting all sorts of people saying, oh, this is just a witch hunt. Well, yeah, okay, maybe, but at the same time, I also understand that if you've got an attorney saying, all right, I I paid $130,000 to this woman to settle a case involving a client, and the client says he didn't know anything about it, and there's questions about where the money came from, I, I get why people are poking around in this. And if there's nothing to hide, there's no big deal about this. I continue to believe I think the president would be making a huge mistake if he were to come in and to fire Robert Mueller on this. Um, just let this one play out. See where it goes. And by the way, if the president truly believes that this is a witch hunt and anything is unfounded, if they believe that there's something bad going on here and the president thinks that it's just, again, an unfounded witch hunt, the president can always pardon people. He can always pardon people. But at this point in time, if I were advising him, I would let the process play out. It's 144. When we come back, we'll see if Mark Zuckerberg is ready to testify. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let's dip into the coverage to see where we are. Facebook feature is Cambridge Analytica to capture the information of not just the app's users, but millions of their friends. The digital director for that campaign uh, for 2012 described the data scraping app as something that would, quote, wind up being the most groundbreaking piece of technology developed for this campaign, end of quote. So the effectiveness of these social media tactics can be debated, but their use over the past years across the political spectrum and their increased significance cannot be ignored. Our policy towards data privacy and security must keep pace with these changes. Data privacy should be tethered to consumer needs and expectations. Now, at a minimum, consumers must have the transparency necessary to make an informed decision about whether to share their data and how it can be used. Consumers ought to have clear information, not opaque policies and complex click 
through consent pages. The tech industry has an obligation to respond to widespread and growing concerns over data privacy and security and to restore the public's trust. The status quo no longer works. Moreover, Congress must determine if and how we need to strengthen privacy standards to ensure transparency and understanding for the billions of consumers who utilize these products. Senator Nelson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Zuckerberg, good afternoon. Uh, let me just cut to the chase. If you and other social media companies do not get uh, your act in order, none of us are going to have any privacy anymore. Uh, that's what we're facing. We're talking about personally identifiable information that, if not kept by the social media companies from theft, a value that we have in America being our personal privacy, we won't have it anymore. Uh, it's the advent of technology, uh, and of course all of us are part of it. From the moment that we wake up in the morning until we go to bed, we're on those handheld tablets. And online companies like Facebook are tracking our activities and collecting information. Facebook has a responsibility to protect this personal information. This is Senator Bill Nelson we from Florida. He's a Democrat uh, addressing Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg will be speaking in just a moment. You told me that the company had failed to do so. It's not the first time that Facebook has mishandled its users' information. The FTC found that Facebook's privacy policies had deceived users in the past. And in the present case, we recognize that Cambridge Analytica and an app developer lied to consumers and lied to you, lied to Facebook. But did Facebook watch over the operations? We want to know that. And why didn't Facebook notify 87 million users that their personally identifiable information had been taken? And it was being also used. Why were they not informed for unauthorized political purposes? So only now, and I appreciate our conversation, only now, Facebook has pledged to inform those consumers whose accounts were compromised. I think you're genuine. I got that sense in conversing with you. You want to do the right thing. You want to enact reforms. We want to know if it's going to be enough. And I hope that will be in the answers uh, today. Now, since we still don't know what Cambridge Analytica has done with this data, uh, you heard uh, Chairman Thune say, as we have discussed, we want to haul Cambridge Analytica in to answer these questions at a separate hearing. I want to thank uh, Chairman Thune for working with all of us on scheduling a hearing. 
There's obviously a great deal of interest in this subject. I hope we can get to the bottom of this. And if Facebook and other online companies will not or cannot fix the privacy invasions, then we are going to have to. We, the Congress. How can American consumers trust folks like your company to be caretakers of their most personal and identifiable information? And that's the question. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, my colleagues and Senator Nelson. Uh, our witness today is Mark Zuckerberg, founder, chairman, chief executive officer of Facebook. Mr. Zuckerberg's launched Facebook February 4th, 2004, at the age of 19. And at that time, he was a student at Harvard University. As I mentioned previously, his company now has over $40 billion of annual revenue and over $2 billion monthly active users. Mr. Zuckerberg, along with his wife, also established the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative to further philanthropic causes. I now turn to you. Welcome to the committee. Uh, and uh, whatever your statement is orally, if you have a longer one, it will be included in the record. So proceed, sir. Chairman Grassley, Chairman Thune, uh, Ranking Member Feinstein, and Ranking Member Nelson, and members of the committee, we face a number of important issues around privacy, safety, and democracy. And you will rightfully have some hard questions for me to answer. Before I talk about the steps we're taking to address them, I want to talk about how we got here. Facebook is an idealistic and optimistic company. For most of our existence, we focused on all of the good that connecting people can do. And as Facebook has grown, people everywhere have gotten a powerful new tool for staying connected to the people they love, for making their voices heard, and for building communities and businesses. Just recently, we've seen the Me Too movement and the March for Our Lives organized, at least in part, on Facebook. After Hurricane Harvey, people came together to raise more than $20 million for relief. And more than 70 million biz small businesses use Facebook to create jobs and grow. But it's clear now that we didn't do enough to prevent these tools from being used for harm as well. And that goes for fake news, foreign interference in elections, and hate speech, as well as developers and data privacy. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, and I'm responsible for what happens here. So now we have to go through our, all of our relationship with people and make sure that we're taking a broad enough view of our responsibility. It's not enough to just connect people. We have to make sure that those connections are positive. It's not enough to just give people a voice. We need to make sure that people aren't using it to harm other people or to spread misinformation. And it's not enough to just give people control over their information. We need to make sure that the developers they share it with protect their information too. Across the board, we have a responsibility to not just build tools, but to make sure that they're used for good. It will take some time to work through all the changes we need to make across the company, but I'm committed to getting this right. This includes the basic responsibility 
of protecting people's information, which we failed to do with Cambridge Analytica. So here are a few things that we are doing to address this and to prevent it from happening again. First, we're getting to the bottom of exactly what Cambridge Analytica did and telling everyone affected. What we know now is that Cambridge Analytica improperly accessed some information about millions of Facebook members by buying it from an app developer. That information, uh, th this was information that people generally share publicly on their Facebook pages, like names and their profile picture and the pages they follow. When we first contacted Cambridge Analytica, they told us that they had deleted the data. About a month ago, we heard new reports that suggested that wasn't true. And now we're working with governments in the US, the UK, and around the world to do a full audit of what they've done and to make sure they get rid of any data they may still have. Second, to make sure no other app developers out there are misusing data, we're now investigating every single app that had access to a large amount of information in the past. And if we find that someone improperly used data, we're going to ban them from Facebook and tell everyone affected. Third, to prevent this from ever happening again going forward, we're making sure that developers can access as much information now. The good news here is that we already made big changes to our platform in 2014 that would have prevented this specific situation from Cam with Cambridge Analytica from occurring again today. But there's more to do, and you can find more details on the steps we're taking in my written statement. My top priority has always been our social mission of connecting people, building community, and bringing the world closer together. Advertisers and developers will never take priority over that as long as I'm running Facebook. I started Facebook when I was in college. We've come a long way since then. We now serve more than 2 billion people around the world. And every day, people use our services to stay connected with the people that matter to them most. I believe deeply in what we're doing. And I know that when we address these challenges, we'll look back and view helping people connect and giving more people a voice as a positive force in the world. I realize the issues we're talking about today aren't just issues for Facebook and our community. They're issues and challenges for all of us as Americans. Thank you for having me here today, and I'm ready to take your questions. It's 158, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back after the news, I've got some comments on some of the things he said in his opening statement, and I would like you to react to them. Stick around. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Got a lot of ground to cover this hour of the program because... Early Brewers game on tomorrow, and then uh, I'm, I'm going to go take a couple of days off, Thursday and Friday, go try to find the sun. Although it looks like finally, well, they're talking about a little bit of rain, but at least it'll be a little bit warmer, but hopefully where I am going, the sun will be shining. I'm back next Monday. Uh, because there is an early Brewer game, I get to do this not once, but twice this hour. Cue the music. Come see what's it's Welcome Back Baseball. I've got a four-pack of tickets to give to some lucky listener. Caller number 12 at 414-799-1620. Caller number 12 wins a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Miami Marlins on Saturday night, April 21st 
In addition, you get a $50 uh, gift card from MelvinMulch.com. So we'll give it to caller number 12. I actually have another four-pack of tickets to give away a little bit later on, but this is our Welcome Back Baseball program to get you kind of in, in the mood for it. And what a good win last night. I, I was listening to and watching the end of the game, and I, I tell you, you know, it's one of those things where they end up blowing the lead in the ninth inning and then uh, come back and win with four walks, three unintentional in the top of the tenth, and then they make it uh, stay. So a good start to the road trip. Hopefully they can keep that up, but uh, welcome back, baseball. All right, I, I was listening while Gru was finding our winner. I was listening to uh, Mark Zuckerberg testify, and, of course, the, the issue here is the fact that, you know, people's data got compromised in that it was, you know, given to developers. Now, candidly, I don't know that there's really this expectation of privacy that was out there, but a number of people have concerned be concerned that information that they thought at least wasn't going to be used commercially was in fact used commercially. I guess I just routinely assume that stuff that I put on on the internet on sites that are run by people other than myself that that somebody may in fact be looking at that and planning to use that Uh, but but anyway he's pledged to do better he said okay we're going to try to have more privacy controls and we're going to try to control where the information goes what i thought was interesting about his testimony is this part he says all right he's talking about you know facebook he says facebook is an idealistic and optimistic company for most of our existence we focused on all the good that connecting people can bring As Facebook has grown, people everywhere have gotten a powerful new tool to stay connected to the people they love, make their voices heard, and build communities and businesses. He goes on, though, to say that um, it's apparent that through what happened, you know, we we did not look at this broadly enough. So now we have, this is what he says, so now we have to go through every part of our relationship with people and make sure we're taking a broad enough view of our responsibility. It's not, now listen to what he says, it's not enough to just connect people. We have to make sure those connections are positive. Hmm. It's not just enough to give people a voice. We have to make sure people aren't using it to hurt people or spread information. Hmm. It's not enough to give people control of their information. We have to make sure developers they're giving it to are protecting it too. Across the board, we have a responsibility to not just build tools, but to make sure those tools are used for good. Huh. It will take some time to work through all the changes we need to make, but I am committed to getting it right. That's kind of an interesting and, to me, quite candidly troubling sort of thing. All right, Facebook's owners and founders saying it's not just enough for us to connect people. We want to make sure those connections are positive. Hmm. Who is it? And we, by the way, have a winner of our tickets to the Brewers giveaway. We'll be giving away another four-pack sometime before the end of the hour. It's not just enough to connect people. We have to make sure those connections are positive. Here's my question. Who decides whether the, the connection is positive? He says it's not enough to just give people a voice. We have to make sure people aren't using it to hurt people or spread misinformation. Okay, well, who decides what what is misinformation? If I decide I want to go on to Facebook and post, I don't know, a story from Fox News, for example. All right. And somebody else says, no, 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 that's that's not true. Okay. Is Facebook going to decide that I am spreading information? I mean, this is 
Who decides? Do you really want Mark Zuckerberg being the one that decides, you know, what is true and, and what is positive? Now, I mean, I, I understand that you want to make sure that there hasn't been abuse and the fact that you've got, you know, all this fake stuff that's out there and people creating fake Facebook accounts and things like that. I, I get it. And if the idea is we're going to try to crack down on that, well, fine, 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 fine. But what is Facebook now going to do? Are they going to be the censors? Are they going to be the ones saying, well, you know, that that posting you made where you criticized the district attorney for making the decision to charge that brown deer police officer, for example. Well, you know, you you post that on your Facebook page. Well, you know, that that could that could hurt the feelings of the district attorney or, you know, your take could turn out to be wrong. So you're spreading misinformation. You know, where do you draw the line? And the truth of the matter is, if Facebook decides that they are now going to be the deciders of what is true and what is good, trust me, that is going to, and it should, quickly mark the end of Facebook. I understand trying to, you know, root out the people that are, you know, creating the fake Facebook accounts and things like that. If that's what they're going for, fine. If they're talking about trying to, I don't know, supervise and edit content from people, especially, all right, somebody like a Mark Zuckerberg who's, I don't know, his political beliefs probably don't align with a lot of yours. All right, is that what you really want, that Facebook's going to decide what is good and what is right and what is just? Well, the day that happens is the day I think millions of people decide, all right, maybe Facebook isn't all it's cracked up to be. Okay, Supreme Court of the State of Wisconsin's come out with a very interesting gun decision today. We'll discuss next. It's 214. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's still early, but what concerns you most about the struggles for the Brewers? The offense, starting pitching, or the defense? Greg Matzik shares his thoughts and takes yours this evening. Tune into Sports Central starting at 6.07. Greg does a very, very good job. Okay, here is uh, here is the story. Here is the case. State Supreme Court just issued this ruling. Um, here's what happens. 2014, there's this guy whose name is Brian Granberry. He's stopped by Milwaukee police. And he's asked if he has a gun in his car. He says he has a loaded forty-five caliber high-point handgun in the glove compartment. He also says he's got a concealed carry permit. So police say, okay, fine. They check, and they don't see one listed for him. That's when he says, well, I, I actually I don't have a, a permit. I'd taken the class, but I hadn't yet applied for the, the permit. So they charge him with carrying a concealed weapon, which is a, a misdemeanor. He's, he's got the he's got the gun, you know, in in his car in the glove compartment, loaded. So they charge him. He's convicted of carrying a concealed weapon, a misdemeanor. He's sentenced to a hundred and uh, let's see, one year of probation and thirty hours of community service. He appeals, and and he raises this kind of technical legal issue. He says. Look, if somebody has a loaded handgun in their car, um, they're they're allowed to do it. And he says there's two there's two laws. One is what they call the the safe transport law, which says that a gun may not be transported unless unloaded and encased during transport unless the weapon is a handgun. He says, hey, the way that statute reads, um, that means that I should be able to you know carry loaded handguns without permits. 
Um, that wording was allowed in 2011 to allow for people with newly legal concealed carry permits to have their guns with them in their cars. So the, the, the question is, you know, should you need to have a concealed carry permit before you can carry a loaded handgun in your automobile? And today, um, the Supreme Court, uh, with only one dissenter, found that, okay, look, what, what this law says is that, you know, people with concealed carry permits are allowed to carry, you know, firearms, you know, loaded handguns in their car, but um, that's what you need to do. You need the permit to do that. Um, some people still say, well, we don't necessarily agree with that. We think it is confusing. But the bottom line is, now in the state of Wisconsin, if you want to carry a loaded handgun in your car, you need to have a um, you need to have a concealed carry permit. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Um, let, let's tee this up. Is it unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to say? You know, you should, if you're going to carry a firearm that's loaded, that you should have to have a concealed carry permit to do that. If you're going to put it in the glove box, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, you know, what, what do you think? Is it unreasonable to say, hey, if you're carrying a gun in your car, concealed carry permit is the way to go? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 222. 225, Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, under the law, um, you, you don't need a, a concealed carry permit necessarily to carry a firearm in your car, but it has to be it has to be unloaded and it has to be encased during transport. All right. If you want to have that loaded gun with you in the car, you need a concealed carry permit. That's what the court kind of reaffirms. And candidly, I don't I don't think that that's an unreasonable standard. Ryan in Milwaukee. Ryan, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are Hi, you? Good, thank you. So my whole reaction to this is that part, part of me thinks we're going to part the appeal a little bit incorrectly because we have open carry in the state of Wisconsin now that doesn't necessarily deal with transporting the weapons. Right. But if you had open carry, wouldn't that then an Air Force say if you had it on your hip, isn't that more accessible than having it in a locked glove compartment or a glove compartment per se? Well, I guess I, I'd have to. I mean, that wasn't. I mean, thanks to that wasn't the argument. Open carry, but I, I don't think open carry would apply to the automobile. Um, I think that's because again, when you're in the automobile, that's a different situation than when you're you're out. So I, I don't know that the open carry is going to get you anywhere. But I guess the basic premise. I don't have a problem with this. See, this is. I think this is, in my opinion, it is a reasonable. It is a reasonable and a common sense approach. And this comes from somebody who advocated for concealed carry for years and years and years. The idea is if you want to have that gun on your person or you want to have the gun in the glove compartment or under your seat or with an easy reach, what you need to do is you need to have the concealed carry permit. Otherwise, the gun is cased, the gun is unaccessible, the gun is unloaded. That's That, to me, is the fair balancing of this. Rich in Milwaukee. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Rich. Uh, I don't believe there's any reason whatsoever to carry a loaded weapon in your gun. I mean, a loaded weapon in your car. It it doesn't matter what kind of gun it is. But the concealed carry 
uh, permit law pertains to your person, not to your vehicle. Right. The, yeah. It, it, right. It, I, I don't think that argument would end up going anywhere. Thanks for calling. Now, where I disagree with you is, I mean, I, I, I understand why somebody might make that decision that they want to have, you know, their firearm with them in in their car. I mean, um, all you have to do is look at the number of carjackings we have for people who, you know, travel in in Milwaukee. Um, and and I understand why you might say, okay, well, look, this is the deal. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that somebody's going to come up and stick a gun in my face or what was the story we had out of Mequon just the other day where you have um, somebody presumably, f- I think, from Milwaukee that starts, they rear end the car, person gets out, and then they end up stealing the car. I get why under certain circumstances you might feel a desire or need to have a firearm with you for various protection, and I don't have a problem with that, but I think the decision is if you if you make that decision that you want to carry that firearm, I think you should have the permit. And in the particular case that was before the court, what happened is the guy, first of all, told the cops that he did have the permit. And then, as it turned out, well, I took the class, but I didn't get the permit. Now, if you think that there is a need to arm yourself for whatever reason, or maybe simply because, hey, you know, I parked my car on the street, and I've got to walk, get out of my car, and I've got to walk to, you know, somewhere else, and I want to carry the gun with me then, okay, that that's fine, but but jump through the hoops. It's easy enough to get a permit, and then then you're covered. Then there's no issue here. So I think what the court did candidly was sort of the common sense thing. It was, um, there was a six to one decision. Rebecca Bradley, um, who's one of the conservative justices, she dissented saying that she thought that the statutes were vague and that uh, because of the way they operate, maybe somebody wouldn't have understood them. I, I don't know. I think it's pretty clear. But now I think the law is very settled. If you decide that you want to carry a firearm in your car loaded and accessible to you, you need to get the concealed carry permit. Don't mess around otherwise or else, you know, you could be charged with a crime. It's 2.36, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have a winner of our uh, Brewers tickets for today, part of our Welcome Back Baseball. The Brewers continue their road trip from the Gateway to the West. The Brewers and the Cardinals play Game 2 of their series from St. Louis. Our Brewers coverage with Jeff and Lane starts at 6.40 this evening. Now, I was mentioning that um, I, I'm off tomorrow because we've got an early Brewers game and then I'm taking a couple of days of vacation. But, but here's the deal. Um, how many people grew are going to be frustrated by this? Because tomorrow, if, um, well, you can hear the Brewers here on, on 620 WTMJ as always. But if you think you want to watch them on television, no. This is the new experiment. If you want to watch the Brewers tomorrow, they're not on television. Now, you can hear the game on WTMJ, which is the way I advise you to do it. But if you want to watch the game, it's not on TV. It's on Facebook Wednesday afternoon. Uh, the Brewers Cardinals game is going to be available only via Facebook. It's one of several Major League Baseball games this year that are going to be exclusively on Facebook. So you need a Facebook account, and then you've got to visit. Uh, so you log into your Facebook account, then you've got to visit the MLB Live Facebook page. For the game, it's the second major league game broadcast on Facebook this year, and one of 25 on the schedule. 
Um, the Brewers game against the Cardinals on May 30th is also going to be available exclusively on Facebook. Now, that, that's what this, the news story said. That's, it's misleading because we've got it, too. Of course, you can always hear it on the radio. I don't know. I, I Look, I, I understand that you know there is the power of social media, but at some point in time or another, whether it's baseball or football or soccer or basketball or whatever, you want the games to be accessible to the, the general public. And, all right, offering them on Facebook in addition to TV and the radio might be fine, but offering them just exclusively on Facebook strikes me as being hip and trendy, but not necessarily serving the overall interest of, of their client base because, believe it or not, my guess is there's a whole bunch of people out there who who still aren't on Facebook or aren't on Facebook anymore. But for those people, if you're out there, um, then my advice is we've got that radio thing, and you just tune us in, and you can hear the game, and hopefully they will be going for a sweep. There, there was a story on today's TMJ4 yesterday that I, I just I wanted to offer a comment on because, again, it demonstrates the way officials can manipulate things. MPS is looking at various budget cuts in an effort to, to try to stay within their, their budgetary limitations. And, and we've thrown a ton of money at MPS over the years, and, and it, it just it hasn't worked. Now, the easiest way to, of course, deal with the fact that you want to rein in the budget would be to, I don't know, get rid of some dead weight. Maybe say, okay, let's look at the, let's look at the MPS office. And do we have a, a bunch of middle managers being paid six figures to do what we're not really sure of, what they're doing? And you get rid of that. We had an accountant here that worked for WTMJ a number of years ago. His, his name was Vicious Bill. As a matter of fact, Sykes and I used to do this bit where, Vicious Bill, you could, you could give him a budget, anybody's budget, and he could sit down with an accountant, he could sit down with an adding machine or with a calculator, and, and he could find, oh, I don't know, five or ten percent of that budget that was really unnecessary, and and that was always kind of the the game that we would end up playing. But somebody like Vicious Bill never, never ends up working in the public sector. So, okay, MPS, they're, they're considering ways they can save money. Fine, I'm all in favor of that. So one of the things they have decided to do, or at least a proposal, is they want to take kids. Say so right now they have citywide specialty schools, which as a general rule are some of the only schools that work in MPS. Okay, you've got the French Immersion School, for example, um, you've got the Spanish Immersion School. You've got the um, Italian Immersion School. And these are schools that, that kind of work. In part, they work because you've got parents who are trying, to, who are kind of committed to seeing that they make them work and things like that. All sorts of reasons. But these are schools that work. Um, but they're scattered across the city. So what happens is these specialty schools at MPS, they currently accept students no matter where they live in the city. Um, however, however, what they are considering doing is saying, if you got your kid enrolled in one of these specialty schools, but he lives or she lives more than seven miles away from the school, well, we're not going to give him an access to a school bus anymore. So you're going to be on your own. For You can still enroll him. 
but you, mom or dad, are going to be on your own for figuring out how you're going to get your kid to or from school. And I listen to this, and I say, really? You know, you've got a handful of the things, and there's not too many things in MPS that are working. So now you've got some parents who are invested. They want their kids to go to the schools. The schools are succeeding. The kids are succeeding. So what let's do is we'll say, all right, you live more than seven miles away from whatever the particular, the Milwaukee French Immersion School, for example. All right. Well, now you're you're on your own, Mom and Dad. Figure out a way to get the kid to and from school. It's going to be your problem. You would think that MPS would be identifying the schools that work and then doing everything they possibly could to get to make it easier to get students into the succeeding schools instead of saying, okay, we're going to cut out bus service. I'm sure bus service is expensive. I get that. But you're talking about the schools that work and the kids that want to learn. Surely, surely you could look at the administrative head office at MPS and you could find, I bet you, two or three positions that you could get rid of that would generate the money you need to bust those kids who want to learn to the schools that are working. Just saying. It's 243. This is Jeff Wagner. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple interesting um, texts on the whole MPS thing. Uh, Dana writes, I'm an MPS alum and send my kids to MPS, the German Immersion School and the Milwaukee School of Languages. We don't currently need busing, but if we did and it was taken, I surely wouldn't send them to the crappy neighborhood school. We'd go out of district. I swear, MPS does all it can to alienate people who want it to succeed, which I say amen. Justin texts, it's unconscionable that MPS would consider eliminating bus routes that take some of their most serious, successful students to specialty schools. They've chosen to attend specifically for their unique curriculum focus uh, versus trying other cost-savings alternatives, in particular applying more of the measures that Act 10 affords them that they have been reluctant to use. Now, of course, this is part of the strategy that you see you know, play out a lot of times where you know, they did it down in Racine. You might remember, I've got this kind of institutional memory, down in Racine, that they kept going to the voters. The school board kept going to voters a number of years ago over and over again with spending referendums. And the voters kept saying, no, no, we don't want to do this. No, you're wasting money. No, it is too excessive, etc." And so then they came up with this idea, let's scare the voters. Let's tell them that if they don't approve this referendum, we're going to have to eliminate after-school activities. No more sports, no more anything. They didn't say, we're going to get rid of, I don't know, three of these mid-level bureaucrats who are working at home office who are making $104,000 a year plus benefits. No, they didn't say that. They said, oh, we're going to get rid of after-school activities. No more football, no more basketball, no more any of this. And, of course, Then everybody panics. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be terrible. What do you mean you're going to eliminate this? And the referendum ends up passing. And the thing with school spending referendums is, again, they can be rejected eight, nine, ten times. All you need is it succeeds once, and and then you're set. So this is the strategy, I, I think, that gets implemented, and it plays out in different ways. It's where, you know, Congress says, all right, if you don't give us tax increases and we have to shut down the government, We're going to try to cause as much pain as possible. We're going to close down the Smithsonian. We're going to close down, you know, the Lincoln Memorial. We're going to do this. We're going to close the national parks. 
we're going to do this to cause as much hurt as is possible. And that's, I think, a variation of what you're seeing play out with MPS. Nobody in their right mind, I think, would try to discourage or make it more difficult for the students who are currently going to those handful of MPS schools that succeed. And, and yeah, the truth of the matter is, I'm sure you, they draw from all over the they draw from all over the city. So you've got people from all over the city, whether it's 108th and, and Good Hope to you know downtown to the South Side. You've got people from all over the city whose kids you know want to participate in French immersion or want to participate in Spanish immersion or, or whatever. So they're they're going to these schools. These are kids that are motivated. These are schools that are doing well, and these are specialty schools that I, I think really play into the aptitude of the kids. These are success stories. So, you know, what idiot, and I'm sorry if that's too strong, but really, what idiot would say, okay, let's take one of the things that's working and let us create a system where it's going to be more difficult for the kids to get to one of the handful of schools that may be working and knowing that if you do cancel bus service, that's probably going to mean that at least a portion of the kids aren't going to be able to stay there because their their parents just aren't going to be able to figure out how to work out transportation. Send your kid to the crummy neighborhood school or send them to the good school. Well, all right, like one of our listeners was texting, I think the chances are you're just giving people other reasons to move out of the district. Maybe this is that same strategy. Let's talk about cutting bus routes instead of getting rid of a handful of bureaucrats. Because if you say you want to get rid of a handful of bureaucrats, nobody is going to care about it. If you say that you want to get rid of bus routes, well, okay, then then, then maybe we can try to scare people into doing what we want. I don't know. Uh, one final thought before I take a break and then turn it over to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Um, we've talked a lot over the last couple of days about the future of, of of Boston Store locally. It's Bonton is the, the parent company. They own Boston stores around here. There's a series of, of other department stores that they own that operate under different names, you know, throughout um, throughout their the, the country, actually. Um, it's not a good time for those type of department stores. They are they're in bankruptcy. Um, there was supposed to be an auction today because what, what's going on is they owe a ton of money. If you've gone into some of the Boston stores lately, inventory is not great because they're in bankruptcy. And it's tough to get suppliers to, you know, front you a whole bunch of merchandise if, you know, you might not be able to, if you might not come out of bankruptcy and not might not be able to pay for it. So there, there's two things that are going on. There's going to be what they call an auction. And on the one side, you've got the creditors. And a lot of the creditors, people who are owed money, are saying, look, this is an unsustainable situation. What you should do is just recognize this. Let's quit while we're ahead. Liquidate what we have. Pay off pay off the creditors to the best you can. And then just kind of go home. Then there's another side, a couple mall developers, apparently, who are trying to put together a package to bid um, on on the company with the idea that they could then take over and run the stores and be successful. that That's, of course, the, the operative thing. 
you know, be successful. The creditors are saying, hey, if you do this, the stores aren't going to succeed. There, there's not a pathway to success, and we're going to get even less money. We're going to get screwed over. The auction was supposed to be today. It has now been delayed um, again. Obviously, I think Bonton wants to stay as a viable thing. I was talking to somebody yesterday who knows an awful lot about this, who's been dealing with shopping centers for a good chunk of his life. And I, I said, you know, is there a way out of this? And his answer was to shake his head and say, no, I just kind of like Sears. I mean, Sears circles the drain. And I, I, I appreciate that there's a lot of people who work for Boston Store in the state of Wisconsin, and you never want to see people lose their jobs. At the same time, it's got to be realistic. And honestly, I don't know how this is all going to play out, but I'm not sure that I see the way Boston Store continue, or you know, other similar department stores like that stay viable, whether it's the Internet or the Targets and the Walmarts of the world. I, I think the business model has just changed. Regardless of who ends up buying the company, um, I'm afraid that a couple years from now, Boston Store is just going to be a memory. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.